0: I'm gonna pray for us. Um, I want to encourage you. That you know, we've been just coming through the book of Colossians. Most of you know that. But right now, in God's sovereignty, we land on chapter three, verse three through four. And I, I, I do not just want. I, I want you to learn something. Okay, I want you to learn something about what a text of Scripture means. What this text of Scripture means. But if it stops there, if it's just you just learn something, you learn something about the meaning of the passage today and it doesn't lead you to this place where you drop the pencil, you drop the pen, you praise the living God for who He is and what He's done, then your learning's been in vain. So I want to encourage you that everybody here in this room would press into not just learning these things today, but lean down with our hearts that we might worship Jesus Christ as we see what He's done according to His Word. So let's pray. Father, please help us to learn. Give us minds. Spiritual ears, spiritual eyes to see. Help us to see the meaning of this passage, God. And Lord, take us to the place that you intend learning to take us, Lord, that we might worship your holy name. God, give us moments in time. As we open your word right now, God, as we stop and we, we want to hear from you, oh God. God, give us moments in time when we worship you for what you are. God, stop us in our tracks of this, just going through the motions of this life. God, you created us for worship. You created us for worship, God. God, let us worship you according to your word. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4, let's read it. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. One more time. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's talk a little bit about the context that's here. Just kind of setting the stage. you got Paul, the apostle, writing to the Colossian church from a prison cell. You've got this former former hater of Christ, this former murderer of Christians. And he's writing about the glories of Christ in chapter 1 and warnings about anything that pulls you away from Christ in chapter 2. And in chapters 3 and 4, he moves into listen church. This is how you walk with Christ. So here's this former murderer of Christians writing to Christians about the glories of Christ. The place that we're at, we're at a transitional place in Colossians. So there's a division that you see clearly in Colossians 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2 and Colossians 3 and 4 there's really a transition that happens And, and Dustin spoke about this some last week that you're going from the done's Christ has done, accomplished something, is finished in chapters 1 and 2 and you're moving to the Therefore, here's what you do in chapters 3 and 4. And we see that same division in many letters that Paul writes, Ephesians, Romans. Several times we see this this mindset of of here's the doctrine first, and then next thing, here's the duty. Or here's the belief that you ought to have, and here's the behavior flowing out of that. So here's the duns, and here's the do's. Now what are we supposed to learn from that? The fact that Paul divides up his letters like that. What are we supposed to learn from that? I'm going to mention two things. One thing we learn from that is this. That is a condemnation against Christless religion. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that he doesn't just go right into chapters 3 and 4 and give you the dues, But he gives you Christ and what he's done first. That is a condemnation against Christless morality. Against Christianity just being this, this rules and regulations that doesn't have Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of it all. It's a condemnation against that. That's number one. Number two is this. It's also a condemnation against just mere head religion. That you just have doctrine, but it never leads to duty. That you just have belief, but it never leads to your behavior. When, this, when you truly see and believe the done that Christ has accomplished, you'll want to walk in the do's and the obedience of Christ. It gives you both sides, both sides of, of that reality. So what we see here, we see Colossians 3. So when we get into this this practical section of Colossians, Paul writing to the Colossian church, we get to this practical section. The first command that we get is chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. So let's just back up a couple verses and read that quickly. I want us to get a summary of what that first command that's given in the practical section of Colossians. Look at it. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So in summary, what does this mean? Verse one is telling us to seek, seek Jesus. Seek the things that are above. What do you mean? Where Christ is. The command, the first command in this practical section is, is seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Who He is. He's the one seated. That means seek Him, pursue Him in His finished work like Dustin was talking about a moment ago. Seek Him in His sovereign reign presently. He reigns over the universe. Seek Christ. Seek Christ who is above. Set your mind. Not on the things that are on this earth. But set your mind on things above where Christ is. And listen, that's not just a division between having a vile mind and having a morally good mind. You can go further than that. It can be a difference between having a morally good mind and having a mind that's set on Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who lives, who died for us, who intercedes, who's coming again. Set your mind on Him. This is the first command that we see in the practical section. Now, what do we learn from the fact that when you turn the corner in in Colossians, when you turn the corner and you get to the, the practical section of Colossians, what do we learn from the fact that the very first thing Paul says is, is See Christ, set your mind on him above all else. What do we, what is that? What is that meant to teach us? And I think that's meant to teach us that absolutely everything flows out of that. And everything else, all this morality, it falls to the ground. If it doesn't begin with an obsession with Christ Jesus, the Savior, the one who is above. It's got to start there. And everything else in the Christian life would flow out of it. I want you to, I want you to listen to this, this quote from, from Charles Spurgeon on this same kind of idea. Listen to this. Give us a church that loves Jesus Christ much. That's number one. Mind set on Him. Seek Christ Jesus. Give us a church that loves Jesus Christ much. And, and, and listen to what flows out of that according to Spurgeon. You will have mighty prayer meetings. You will have a holy membership. You will have liberal giving to the cause of Christ. You will have hearty praising of His name. You will have careful walking before the world. You will have earnest endeavors for the conversion of sinners. Missions at home and abroad will be set on foot when love for Christ is fervent. When the heart is right, everything likely seems to be right but when the heart goes wrong oh what a oh what a fatal thing it is and so what we see is this that the first command out of this practical section of colossians is look at it, look at it, have a mind set on him be obsessed with him know who he is what he's done what he's doing right now and what he's going to do in the future know this one who is the savior and let me ask you this that pushes us to move into a life that is increasingly growing in the knowledge of our Savior. This increasingly growing in, in knowing who He is, what He's done, what He's like, everything about Him. Increasing in that. It pushes us into that life, right? Let me ask you something. Have you grown dull of hearing about Christ? Have you grown dull of hearing about Christ? Hebrews 5.11. And that verse of scripture, you don't have to flip there. But the writer of Hebrews says, listen, I got a lot to say to you about Jesus. I got a lot to say to you about Jesus. But it's hard because you have become dull of hearing. You become dull of hearing. We should beware of allowing the truth about Christ and about his work to become of no effect. It's like background noise. Like We, we hear the noise, but it has no effect on us. We have to be of allowing thoughts of Christ and his work to become like that to us. And I believe so often the reason that, that Christians become dull of hearing is because they they might say on paper that the riches of Christ are unsearchable. And they might say on paper that there's no bottom to know in Christ that you cannot reach the bottom of, of his gospel and his work. They might say that on paper, but not really believe it in their hearts. If you don't believe that He is unsearchable in His glory, then you'll grow dull of hearing about Him. You'll say, I got that figured out. Moving on to something else. Psalm 145, in verse 3. In Psalm 145, verse 3, it says, Great is our Lord, listen to it, great is our Lord, and greatly to be praised in His Greatness is unsearchable. You cannot get to the bottom of His greatness. You'll seek Him for all of eternity and never fully comprehend His glories. And you got to believe that in your soul so that you never become dull of hearing. I want you to listen to this quote from a, a guy named Edward Payson. He's a preacher in the 1800s. They call him praying Payson of Portland. That rings. Listen to what he said about this. God how much this title implies no tongue human or angelic can express it is a volume of an infinite number of leaves he means it's a book with an infinite number of pages that's what he's talking about and every leaf full of meaning it will be read by saints and angels Through the ages of eternity. But they will never reach the last leaf. Nor will they fully comprehend the meaning of one single page. How could you ever grow dull at hearing about this Christ. Unless you bought into the lie. That his greatness is searchable. Rather than unsearchable. I like to think of it like babies. Like you got a little baby. Can't really talk yet. Can't formulate his words. And his father comes into the room. And he doesn't know the color of his eyes. He did not even know his colors. He didn't know his father's shoe size. He didn't know where his father worked. He can't even say his father's name. But he knows when daddy's in the room. He knows when daddy's in the room. And he's going to spend the rest of his life knowing more and more and more as he gets to know his daddy. And we need to view our look to Christ. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. We must view it this way. There is more to be known. You have not figured it out. And so as we look at this today, that's what we're digging into, the treasure stores of Christ. And I encourage you to lean in and see His glory, okay? So with these things in mind, let's take a deeper look at verse 3 and 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Now let me say this. These two verses, they give us the reason that we should obey verse 1 and 2. So verse 1 and 2 says, Seek God, seek Christ, set your mind on the things above. Why? In verse 3 and 4, Says, for you have died. For it's like a because. Why should I do verse 1 and 2? Because you've died and your life's given with Christ and God, and when He appears, you'll appear with Him. See it? These verses we look at today are meant to motivate us and move us to obey verses 1 and 2. So, what we see in verses 3 and 4, we see three Christian realities. Three Christian realities in verse 3 and 4. We see a past reality, a present reality, and a future reality for every single Christian. Whether you feel it in this moment or not, if you're in Christ, these realities are true for you in verses 3 and 4. So let me explain the past, present, and future. Verse 3. Christian, you have died. That's past tense. It's happened. If you're here and you're in Christ, the past tense Christian reality is that you have died. The present tense reality. Keep going. And your life, that's presently right now, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a present reality if you're in Christ. And the future reality is in verse 4. And when Christ, who is your life, appears as His second coming, He's coming again. When Christ appears... It says that you also will appear with Him in glory. And these three realities, past, present, future, are meant to motivate you to obey verses 1 and 2. Now here's something very important you need to see. Before we dig into each one of these, this is very important. That these Christian realities, these past, present, future realities, they are bound up, they are wrapped up in your union with Christ. That if you've been saved, that you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been united to Christ like, like a branch is united to the vine. You understand that? And because of that, He, Christ Jesus died, you die. Christ Jesus lives, therefore you live. Christ Jesus is resurrected and He's coming again, therefore you're going to appear with Him in glory. Do you see that even in this verse that we're in? Okay, So, so if you look at verse 3 It says, For you have died, and we know from two other places in Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12, to chapter 2, verse 20, that it says, We have died with Christ. With Christ. Like Romans 6, you've been united together with him in the likeness of his death. And then your life is hidden with Christ. You see that phrase in verse 3? Your life, this life you have now, you live because he lives. It's with Christ in God. You're united to him, it's a spiritual union. Verse 4, when Christ, is who, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him. You're going to appear with Him. So do you understand what I'm saying? That the basis for this past, present, and future reality in your life, the basis for that is that Christ has died. That Christ lives and that Christ is coming again. And because you're united to Him, these, these things are true about you. It's very important that you understand these things are hooked. To your union with Christ, First Corinthians six seventeen says something. Says this right here: He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. It's a spiritual union. Is what we're talking about here. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Now let's go to that first reality. Okay. So if you understand that the basis for these Christian realities for you and for the Colossian church. Is union with Christ. That, that what's happened to Christ has happened to us in this sense. Okay? First one Christian reality, of the past. It says right here in verse 3 For you have died. Now we're not going to spend a, a, a terrible amount of time there because we've already hit that thought a couple of times as we come through Colossians because Colossians has hit that thought a couple of times. But I want you to think about it like this Why should you seek Christ and not the things of earth? Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Why? Because you've died. You've died to the things of this earth. You've died to the things of this world. That's the reason why. This is the third time that Paul has mentioned this fact that you have died. You need to get it. You You need to understand it. In fact, in this passage, maybe the emphasis should be something like this. You have died. You really have. I've already said it twice and I'm telling you again. You have died. You're dead, Christian, to the things of this world. You're dead to sin. The Colossian Christian's death and our death is is hooked in, like I said, to our union with Christ. And therefore, I want to talk about it for just a minute. Christ Jesus really died. He really did. He was crucified on a cross for sinners. The death of Christ is such a glorious accomplishment. Think about it. At the transfiguration. When you've got that saint of old Moses and that saint of old Elijah, and they're talking to Jesus, what are they talking about? What are they talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration? And it says right here in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, they spoke of his decease that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. It's, so, it's such a big deal that Christ died. It's such an accomplishment that, that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they're saying this is something that's been accomplished. That Christ is going to accomplish a death. Do you think of death that way? An accomplishment. His death was not just a tragedy. It's the greatest accomplishment to ever cross a human mind. Think about it. The death of Christ made a way for God to forgive sinners and still maintain His justice. The death of Jesus Christ made a way for the great hater of sinners to let sinners go free. Every Colossian Christian, think about it. Every one of these Colossian Christians that would have received this letter. And they're in Christ. Right now, in the presence of God, they are experiencing fullness of joy in His presence. Do you realize that? The first readers of this letter are before God, before His throne, worshiping in joy you have never experienced ever. Do you realize that? Now, now, what got them there? What accomplished that? Was it just because they were such great people? They're just such good people. Is that why? George Whitfield he said in his his. His last sermon in the the night before he died, he he said this. He said, works? Works? A man get to heaven by works? I would as soon think of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. It's not by their works. There's Colossian Christians standing before the living God. Why? Because Christ's death accomplished something for them. They could be set free. They're the ones that deserve nothing but hell. And they can be set free. The death of Christ. And Paul says since Christ has died and you're united to him, you've died. For you have died with Christ. You have died to sin's condemning claims on you. Think of sin like a lawyer that testifies against you in that last day. You might as well be talking to a dead man, it means nothing anymore. You're dead to sin's tyranny over you. You once had a chain around your neck and sin told you where to go. But those chains have been broken. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says, Our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. If you're in Christ, the chains have been broken. Galatians six fourteen. It says, "The world has been. Think about this. The world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world." He says, "The world's dead to me, and I'm dead to the world." And you think about what that means for a man. Think about what that means. On the one hand, there was a time when everybody in this room and every Colossian Christian there was a time where you were alive to the world and you were dead to Jesus Christ. You are alive to the world. And dead to Jesus Christ. And what that meant was. You saw glory and beauty in this world. But not in Christ. You saw its beauty. But you couldn't see the beauty of Christ. You loved the world. But you didn't love Christ. You're dead to Him. Allowed to the world. You were captive to the world and His plans and its leader. But not Christ. You weren't captive to Him. But what happened at conversion? He turns it on his head and now you're dead to the world and you are allowed to Christ. Which means the world no longer looks beautiful to you, but Christ looks glorious. The world no longer holds you captive, but you are captive to the will of the Savior. You no longer love the world, but you love Christ above all else. You are dead, he says, dead to the world. So he says, don't seek the things on earth. Colossians 3, 2. Don't do that. Why? You've died to it. You've died to it. Let's go to that next reality. The present reality is found in this verse. Keep reading in Colossians 3, 3. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why should we seek Christ and fill our minds with Him? Why? Because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Presently, right now, life hidden with Christ in God. I want you to think about that. Your life. Wait a minute. Didn't he just say you die? You have died. Your life is hidden. I thought he said you died. Why is he saying you're life? And the reason is because you're united to Christ, not only in his death, but in his resurrection. You have the resurrected life of Jesus flowing through your spiritual veins. You are alive because you're united to Christ and he is alive. What's Jesus doing? He's alive. What's he doing? We could go on and on and on about that, but I'll mention three things. That Christ Jesus is doing right now as we speak and will continue to do number one he is reigning as king this means he is subduing all his enemies under his feet and he is a good and glorious and marvelous king to his people First Corinthians 15 says Christ has been raised from the dead and he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet number two. What's He doing right now? He's interceding for His people. Hebrews 7.25 He always lives to make intercession for them. What love is this? What kind of love is this? That Jesus has become your great high priest and He intercedes on your behalf. Do you know how many thoughts He has towards you if you're in Christ Jesus? It's more than the sand on the seashore. His thoughts towards you. His love towards you. Number three, He is redeeming a people for Himself right now. He is the Redeemer. He's granting faith to His people. He's granting repentance to His people. He's granting the forgiveness of sins. He's delivering sinners out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's doing all that right now as we speak. That's His work as He's seated on high, seated in the heavenly places. Now you think about it, what about your life? So this is what He's doing now, and your life is hidden with Him Hidden with Christ in God. So so your life, Colossian Church, your life, or Grace Community Church, your life is with Christ in God. That means you are benefiting from all these things we just mentioned. You're benefiting the life of Christ and all that He's doing. You are benefiting from that like like a branch attached to the vine. Think about it like this. Number one, I said that He's reigning as a King. You are sons and daughters of the King. Did you think of yourself that, like that this morning? If you're in Christ, son and daughter, of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I said number two, that He's interceding. And because He's interceding, listen to me. You partake of that. You will persevere to the end. That means because He's interceding for you, you're going to make it. Hebrews 7.25 says He saved you. Those to the uttermost who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You'll be saved to the uttermost if you're in Christ. And third, he's redeeming. I said he was redeeming a people and you're one of them bought by Jesus, purchased by Jesus. You get to be a part right now of this global mission where he is redeeming a pride to himself from every nation, tribe and tongue. You see, you partake of that. Your life. Your life. Is hidden with Christ. His life in God. You partake of that. Now. I want to talk about this one word. And you need, to, you need to understand this. Okay, There's a lot of things you can think it means. When you think hidden with Christ in God. Listen. what? Why, why does it say hidden right here? Why does it say hidden? Hidden with Christ in God. Why is, why is your life with Christ. That's in God. Why is it described as a hidden life. Hidden. This word hidden, it means to be concealed. Something's concealed. It's going to be revealed later. It's concealed. It's going to appear later. It's concealed. It's hidden. Now, two phrases that help us understand what this means. Let me just give you, is they're right here in verse 3 and 4? Did it help you understand what it means that the Colossians were hidden in Christ and God? And that you, if you're in Christ here today, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Two phrases that help you understand that. The first one is is right after it. It says you're hidden what? Think about what this means. With Christ. You're hidden. Here's the first phrase. You're hidden. Hidden with Christ. That means you're united to Christ. His life is hidden, concealed in God. Therefore, your life is hidden, concealed in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now think about this. In what way then is Christ's life hidden? And in what way then is your life hidden? That word hidden. In what way? How how do we think about that? Think about it like this. Do you fully see Jesus reigning as King of glory right now? No, in a sense, it's hidden. It's concealed from the eyes of the world. And then sometimes even towards us, it's it's a concealed, Reality, but but so so is it fully made known yet? Not yet, but it will be revealed soon. Think about it like this. What about us? Does the world view us as sons and daughters of the king? No, our life is hidden right now, it's a concealed reality. But soon, soon is coming where it's gonna appear full strength for all eyes to see. Do we fully see Christ as the intercessor and the redeemer that I spoke about a moment ago? Do we fully see that right now? No, it's it's hidden. It's concealed. Now we see dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. Do you understand that? That's the idea of hidden right here. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8, it says at present, right now, we do not see everything subject to Him. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. There's a concealed nature to us. I want you to think about that. So your life being hidden means it's concealed right now. There's a there's a a, a hidden reality to it right now that's gonna be revealed. Second phrase that helps you understand that really is just verse four. Okay, verse four says, "But when Christ, who is our life, when Christ appears, when He appears, you also will appear with Him in glory." Now, notice that that word "appear" is the antithesis of the word "hidden." Christ's life is hidden, but He's gonna appear. You know it's coming, right? Your life is hidden with Christ, but it's going to appear very soon. It's coming. So think about it like this. To have a life that is hidden with Christ and God is highlighting the fact that what you truly are has not yet been revealed, but it will one day. Do you understand me? It's the same thing in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 19. It's talking about... It says it like this. It says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What? The creation is waiting with an eager longing for... You mean you mean the sons of God are hidden in a sense? For the revealing of the sons of God. is coming. Do you understand that? Your life is hidden right now. Hidden with Christ in God. Uh, J.B. Lightfoot, he said it like this. Maybe he'll bring clarity if I'm not clear. Listen. He said... The veil, and this is concerning these verses, the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, and even partly from yourselves, will then be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, and ignores now will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. You understand that? Now I want you to think for a second of how encouraging this would have been for the Colossian church to hear. Think about how encouraging this would have been, okay? Okay? So the Colossian church are reading this letter from Paul, and they're hearing some amazing claims. You, Colossian church, are complete in Christ. You were full in Him. You, in fact, you were buried with Him in baptism. You were raised to walk in newness of life. That's you, Colossian church. In fact, you were dead, but now you're alive. Your spiritual enemy, Satan, and all of his, they have been disarmed against you. So they're hearing these amazing claims about them, and you imagine them saying, but I don't feel that way. I hear what you're saying there and I want to believe that, but I don't, I don't feel that way. And he comes in in this verse and he says, listen to me right now, your life is hidden. It's a concealed version of it. It's hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ and God. But a time's coming when the sons of God are going to be revealed. It's going to be made known that what I'm saying to you is true. You understand that? I want you to think of it like a seed. Think about it like a seed. Your life is hidden. Like a seed in the ground, soon the seed will burst from the ground and be a beautiful plant. You understand that? It's hidden like a seed. And think think of how encouraging that is. Because I understand right now, your life, so if you're in Christ here today, your life has discouragements and hardships and pain. I understand all that. I know that that's true. But I also know that if you're in Christ, man, you have had moments of joy unspeakable to where you love him and you caught up in worship and sing to his holy name. And you see something in his word and discoveries of Christ and obedience to Christ. You just find joy. How encouraging is it it to know that that's just the seed in the ground? Do you understand the hidden seed in the ground? Do you understand what's to come? Then if you can find that kind of joy in Christ that you've experienced now, do you understand the joy unspeakable that is coming when you see him face to face and you're glorified with him? Do you understand that? This is greatly encouraging that this life is just called hidden. This life is just like a little seed. I, 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 saw, I heard a, a good, I guess, uh, parallel to this. We, we drove to Missouri here recently. And on that drive to Missouri, me and my family, uh, my children like the Chronicles of Narnia books. I know many of y'all probably know about those. And we listen on audio to the last one, the last battle. We listen to number seven, last book. We listen to it on audio, the last battle. And there's some issues you know, with that with that one, but that's okay, we'll pass that for now. <laughs> but my point is this, we're listening to the, to, to, to the last battle. And it's, it's, think about it, it's the last book of seven. It's the last one. It's, it's seven seven books written by C.S. Lewis of the, their adventures in Narnia. Their pursuit of Aslan. That's seven books of this stuff. And it ends, in book seven, it ends with them in this place, you know, Aslan's country, that it kind of it symbolizes heaven in some way. That's the place that the book ends. And I want you to think about this last, this is the last phrase of the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. Listen to what it says. And for us, This is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after. And you think it's going to stop there. And he says, well, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. It's this picture of entering into heaven. Only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. What a beautiful illustration that the joys that you find in this life is just a seed. It's hidden. Do you understand what's to come? Because He's going to appear. You're going to appear with Him in glory. Which takes us to our last last Christian reality, the future reality. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Why should I seek Christ? Why should I seek his presence? Why should I seek his kingdom first? Why should I do those things? Because Christ is coming back. He's coming. This reality, this third reality, future reality, it's really the main push. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 right here. I really believe it's the main push. Think about it like this. Why seek the things above and not the things on earth? Why? Because you you died and your life now is hidden. But He's coming and you're going to be revealed. It's the main point of what we're seeing here. So what we see in this verse. We see the second coming of Jesus. Look at it in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. It's the second coming of Jesus. When Christ appears. And we see the glorification of the saints you also will appear with Him in glory. So the second coming of Jesus and the glorification of the saints. Now these things have always been central. Christianity, I've gone back over the last, this last couple of weeks, and I've just tried to look at every place. When I've done my studies in the past, the second coming of Christ and the glorification of the saints, I've gone back and looked at it, and there are so many verses. It, it's just amazing how much the Bible talks about this. So from the beginning, this has been a central idea. I would say in recent, in recent times, it has been largely neg- neglected. The second coming of Christ, the glorification of the saints has been neglected and even even muddied in some ways by a bunch of uh, debates about eschatology and, and which I think there's things that can be good, but missing the main point of what we know is plain and true and clear. And so it's been the, the waters have been muddied in some ways on this. So I, I want you to I want you to think about these things with me. OK, <coughs> I've gotten to meditate on these passages, several passages of Scripture about the second coming of Christ and the glorification of of the saints and what I want to do is I just want us to take time now we've already looked at verse 4 he's going to appear we're going to appear with him I want us to go and flip to some of these other passages it's going to be a lot of reading of other scriptures so I want you to lean in with me what I want us to do I want us to be transported right now that we might see that day that is coming when Christ returns just like John in Revelation was transported into heaven to see. I want, us to, I want you to lean in right now as we read these verses and make some and as I make some comments on these verses. I want you to think about Christ who is coming. And what's going to happen to you and how that affects your life now. You with me? Go to Matthew 24. Lean into this, Matthew 24. I'm going to read verse 29 through 31. Second coming of Christ. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven and to the other. Think about what that just said. All nature is going to be disrupted in this moment when he comes. All politics are going to come to a screeching halt in this moment. The masses are going to faint with fear. And everything is going to be shaken in the moment that Christ returns. Some people are going to mourn at his coming. And some people are going to be gloriously taken. He says he sends out his angels with a trumpet sound to gather up those elected will be with him forever. A day's coming. Lean into this. Now when he comes, what will he be like? What will he be like? He'll be probably much greater than the Christ you have in your mind right now. Revelation chapter 1 gives a picture of a Christ whose face is shining like the sun. Whose voice is like the sound of many waters. Whose eyes are burning like fire. John sees him and almost dies. That's the Christ that's returning on the clouds. And what will we be like? You know, the apostle John said... I don't know what we're going to be like in that moment, but I know this, that we're going to be like Him because when we see Him, we're going to be transformed into His image. We're going to be, we're going to be like Him, he says. Daniel 12.3 says, we will shine like the brightness of the sky above. Mark 13.43, it says that we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. C.S. Lewis spoke about that if we saw the glorified image of ourselves, those who are in Christ, if we saw now the glorified image of ourselves, that we'd be tempted to worship ourselves. Shining like the sun in all His glory. A similar passage to this is found over in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, it focuses a little bit more in on the destruction of those who are not ready at His coming. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12 Look at it, 12 through 17. Listen, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. That's how familiar from Matthew 24. And the sun became black as sackcloth and the the full moon became like blood, just like in Matthew 24. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky, Vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the scene? Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free. They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they were calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of Him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of His wrath has come. And who can stand? You see this picture of His coming. If your life is not hidden with Christ in God now, you'll be hiding from Christ later. That's what we see in Revelation. Chapter six. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Lean into this. Lean into this. This. If you see this, if you're transported into seeing that day, it's going to cause you to do Colossians chapter three, verse one and two. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. I'm going to read verse sixteen through eighteen. Listen to it. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's going to descend with power. It says he descends with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine that mighty shout, that mighty cry of command? Can you imagine sitting in this room and all of a sudden you hear that voice go out? that shatters the earth and shakes it. All the earth will tremble in fear. Transport yourself there. Think about it. Can you imagine that, that trumpet exploding? And all the earth will tremble with fear. Think about it like this. There you are washing your dishes at home. Just washing your dishes. And suddenly a glorious divine shout never heard by human ears. It rings throughout the earth. It shatters the windows of your house. You look at your kids and their eyes are like saucers. You run outside to see what's happening. And you see the dead in Christ going to meet their savior in the air. Can you imagine that in that moment? At this point, you see it happen. The dead in Christ rising. And at, th- at this point, you are either one or two things. You are either trembling with joy unspeakable and admiration of Christ just before you're taken to meet Him. To be with Him forever. Your body changed. Either that's where you're at or you're filled, you're, you're filled with fear and despair unspeakable because you know that the one that you have rejected or the one that you have lightly esteemed has come to condemn you to hell forever. Can you imagine that scene? second coming of our Christ. Imagine that shout. You hear that trumpet blast. To some people, it's going to be the most beautiful sound that's ever hit their ears. And yet for others, it'll be the sound that ushers them into eternal damnation. What about you? 1 Corinthians 15. Beautiful coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Go with me. Lean into this. Come on, church. Lean into this. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, at the twinkling of an eye. A beautiful mystery, it says, is coming. In a moment, it says. Just, just a moment of time is coming. In a twinkling of an eye, it says. We would say in the blink of an eye. Just in the blink of an eye. Suddenly the King of glory is upon you. Can you imagine that? One moment you're just sitting and, and you're listening to an insufficient preacher. Talk about the second, second coming of Christ. One moment you're just listening. And you're sitting there, and the next moment, the King of glory is upon you, and it's over. In that moment. And those interested in the words of Christ and who He is, go to meet Him in unending glory, unending joy. And those who could care, couldn't care less about the preaching of Christ, meet their end in doom. Philippians, chapter 3. Lean into this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Listen, but our citizenship is in heaven and, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We await a Savior. He's coming with power. And time is going to stand still in the moment that He comes. And He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Right now we are, our life, Colossians 3.3, we're, we're, 3, 3, we're hidden with Christ in God in these lowly bodies. But a time's coming, we'll be transformed into the likeness of His glorious body when He is revealed, when He appears and we appear with Him in glory. Says that he'll come like a thief in the night in a few places. He'll come like a thief in the night. I heard somebody give an analogy of a thief that went into this very, very expen- very expensive store. And this thief goes into the store, he breaks in, but he's not there to steal anything. He wants to, he wants to do a prank on people. He wants to do a practical joke. And he goes in there and he just takes all the, the little the, the tags for how much stuff costs. And he switches them all over the place in the store. So the, the clerk shows up the next morning, she's standing there behind the, you know, the, the, the cash register and people are walking up and he, one person walks up with this, this valuable vase, $10,000 vase and walks up and puts it into the cashier surprise, it's $1.25. And then another person takes it and gets a watch, this, you know, just a watch about $100, takes it up there. And now that, that thing that was just $100 is, is $5,000. He switches. Everything of it. And I want you to think about that. Let that be an analogy to you to think about this. That value systems are going to change in that moment when Christ comes. Everything will change. Everything that you, Christian, hold dear right now, that the world mocks at, that the world despises, is going to be infinitely valuable the moment he returns. And everything that the world holds so dear, and that you and I are tempted to go after by Satan himself. The moment he returns. It will be absolutely worthless. Don't seek the things on earth. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. 1 John. Actually excuse me. Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Lean into this. 2 Peter 310 but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and when the and then the heavens think about what's going to happen when he comes then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed go to, go to verse 12 it pictures us waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells you hear that what's coming this reminds us of, of don't flip that but Revelation 21 reminds us of this new heavens and this new earth is coming because the old heavens and the old earth are going to be burned up and destroyed listen He will wipe he will wipe away every tear from their eyes I love it it's not just this this impersonal uh, he's just going to impersonally stop the tears but he, he reaches up his hand to the cheek of the one that he loves he wipes away those tears now first John first John. Chapter 3. And this, this verse. It's one of the last ones we'll look at here. Verse 1 through 3. Is a very clear comparison to our verse over in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 3 and 4. Look at it. Verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's Colossians 3. 3. Our life right now is hidden with Christ in God. We are right now children of God. The reason why the world does not know us. Is that it did not know Him. You see, because He's hidden and we're in, our life is hidden with Christ and God. Christ's life is hidden in God. There's a concealment there. So the world doesn't know us and the world doesn't know Him. But what's to come? Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, just like Colossians 3.4, when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. What a glorious thought. That the final blow to your sanctification is going to be seeing Him face to face. Just like on this planet, the way you're sanctified is that you see Christ through His Word. You see the Lord Jesus Christ. And and as His glory is unveiled to you, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. And the final blow to that sanctification is going to be when you see Him fully. And it's coming. That's coming soon. One more verse here. It's a vision. Revelation 19. This is a vision. It's that time when Christ and his church are no longer hidden. Colossians 3.3. But appear, revealed, Colossians 3.4. Revelation 19. Verse 11. Let me just read it to you. Then I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse leaned in. A white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. A name written that no one knows. Excuse me, his eyes are like a flame of fire. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven. Can you imagine us there? The armies of heaven. Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. With which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me give you a quick takeaway from all this. In light of all these things, past, present, future realities of Christ's life, hidden, going to be revealed, all of that, I want you to see these three phrases that are found in verses 1-4. through There's three phrases here that I think mean very similar, if not exactly the same thing. They're meant to impress on us Similar or exactly the same things. These three phrases found in Colossians 3 verse 1 through 4. The first one is found in verse 1. This is the takeaway. Because what's verse 3 and 4 supposed to make you want to do? Verse 1. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. Or. You can say it like this. Verse 2. Set your mind. On things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. Or. You can say it like this, and this is that little phrase that I love so much we hadn't looked at much in verse 4. It's a little, it's like a little parenthetical statement. It says, verse 4. Christ, who is your life. Christ, who is your life. And I want your takeaway to be whatever you're supposed to see from those three phrases. Seek the things that are above what Christ says. Seek the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Christ, who is your life. Remember, all the truth in verse 3 and 4 is meant to get you to that place, okay? Now, a few thoughts about that. I believe verses 3 and 4, they show us that to seek Christ and to set your mind on Him, to make Him your life, to do that is not just the right thing, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Do you understand that? Seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Why? It's the only thing that makes sense. You've died. Your life's hidden and He's going to be revealed very soon. And you'll be revealed with Him in glory. Why would you ever seek the things here and not there? It's the only thing that makes sense. It's not only the right thing for you to do to obey verse 1 and 2. But, but it just it doesn't make sense to do anything else. I want you to think about our lives. I heard I heard someone mention our lives as a, a tiny little speck of an island. Surrounded by infinite oceans of eternity. Why would you live just for the speck? So let's do this. Verse 1, again, seek Christ. Seek the, seek the things that are above. What do you mean things that are above? Where Christ is. It's about Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. This means seek and This means, listen, church, in response to what we're saying, search for Him. Pursue Him. Get to know Him. Know Him deeper <clears throat> than you know Him now. And it says, "Know Him in His in His seated nature." Meaning, as we said earlier, His work is finished. Know the finished work of Christ. He's seated in that He is reigning as King. Know Him as the present reigning King, and let Him reign in your life. This is the push. Don't sit back and just and just hope that He comes. But seek Him. That's the push. Press into Him. Come on, Church. Press into Christ. Second phrase here, set your mind, set your mind. That reminds me that most of this seeking of Christ and this is going to be a setting your mind. It's going to be about you looking through the lenses of the book of God, of his word. Set your mind, come into the word of God to know the living God, come into the word of God to know Christ. Set your mind is what it says here. Think about that. Fill your mind with Christ is what he saying. Fill your mind with it. Let me give you a little practical suggestion. I kind of accidentally stumbled on this a while, uh, several years ago. But I encourage you to add on. you got your regular reading coming through the Bible. Consider adding on to that just one chapter in the gospel. In the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One chapter every day. And you just read it slow. Slower than you normally read. And write down everything you see about Christ. When you're tempted to see something else, you know, if the Lord should show that, fine. Praise God. But what I want you to see is you write down absolutely everything glorious you can see about Christ in every chapter of the Gospels. And see what it does to you. Fill your mind with Christ. Fill your mind with what He has done. He's seen, he's accomplished something. Fill your mind with what he's done. I want to encourage you to take advantage of... The the Bible uses several different words to describe the finished work of Christ. So often we just say saved. That's all we say. He uses several different words. You take advantage of those words. Think about these words. Atonement. Christ has done it. Propitiation. Reconciliation. Redemption. Regeneration. Union with Christ. Imputation. Justification. Adoption. Sanctification. Glorification. These are Bible words to, to blow up in your mind. Look at what He has done. Do you see it? Set your mind. Fill your mind with these things. Fill your mind with what Christ is doing right now. Fill your mind with the future coming of Christ. Fight to make these things your constant meditation. Not TV. Not social media. But a mind totally set on Christ and His Word. That's the push here. In light of who he is, in light of what he's done, a few verses on meditation, a constant meditation upon him, Psalm 1, 2, it says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night, Lord do that in our hearts, Joshua 1, 8 says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, meditating in the word of God, meditating on Christ. Driving your mind into remembrance of Him. Colossians 3.2. Set your mind. Here's a quote from church history. A true meditation is when a man does so meditate of Christ as to get his heart aflame with the love of Christ. So, So meditate of the truths of God as to be transformed into them. And so meditate of sin as to get his heart to hate sin. What worship we waste when we spend our time anxiously meditating on the things of this earth. You die to the world. Look to Christ. and that fourth that, that third phrase there. Verse 4. Again it's like a parenthetical statement here. It says Christ who is your life. Don't you love that? He could have said anything. Christ who is your master. Christ who is your king. Christ who is your high priest. He could have said any of that and it would have been true. But he says listen. and church. Christ. Who is your life? That's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And it's a perfect description of a healthy Christian life. Christ, who is your life. A very similar, uh, perfect description of a healthy Christian life is found in Philippians one twenty-one. Listen to this. It says in Philippians one twenty-one, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ, who is your life, to live is Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, can this be said of you? Christ, who is your life. Does that describe you? Or would you have to fill in that blank with something else? Work, which is my life. Sports, which is my life. This, which is my... Could you say Christ, which is your life. That's been kicked wide open for you. Because you die, your life's hidden with Christ and God. And He's coming back one day. And it's going to be fully revealed who you truly are. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that You would help us to never come to this sinful place of boredom with You, Lord Jesus, and boredom with who You are. God, take us, God. Take us away from that sin, Lord. Help us to see truly, Lord, that our sin has blinded our eyes, Lord. Help us to see the glories of who You are, the beauty of who You are, the majesty of who You are. God, help us to know You in Your person. In your presence. God help us to know deeply the things that you have done and accomplished. God help us to know you. And your your ministry as our great high priest right now. And your reigning as king. God help us to know you. Help us to continually look forward to that hope which is to come. That you're going to return Lord with power and all the mighty angels. And you're going to set all things right. Lord help us to set our mind on these things. And Lord I pray that you would make us a people because of these realities. Make us a people that seats you, that fills our mind with you, Lord. God, you, you, Lord Jesus, you are our life. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.